Today's episode is brought to you by Slay House Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. Welcome back to another episode of Slay House Presents. I'm your host, Trevor. With me today is my esteemed guest, Krista Carmen. Krista Carmen lives in Rhode Island and is the author of the short story collection, Something Borrowed, Something Blood Soaked. She studied English and psychology at the University of Pennsylvania, has an MA from Boston College, and has an MFA from the University of Southern Maine. When she's not writing, she keeps chickens, uses a Ouija board to ghost hug her dear departed beagle, and sets out on adventures with her husband, daughter, and bloodhound golden retriever mix. Most of her work comes from gazing upon the ghosts of the past or else into the dark corners of nature, those places where whorls of bark become owl eyes and deer step through tunnels of hanging leaves and creeping briars only to disappear. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Krista. Thank you for having me. I'm really psyched. This this is, I want to say this is like the first real, I've done like a couple, one or two paper, you know, print interviews getting ready for the release of my book, but I haven't done any like official events for, for the novel yet. So this is kind of the first, the first one. It's exciting. I will wear that feather in my cap for weeks. You don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So your forthcoming novel uh, the Daughters of Block Island comes out in December 1st. Thank you for, for that clarification. Yeah, no worries. Um, I, I was under the impression it was still coming out in October until about last week. Yeah, it's it's weird because um, I, I actually haven't made, I was planning on making an official announcement on my social media platforms um, and I was waiting till a little bit closer to October, but I didn't realize that the publisher had actually, anybody that had pre-ordered um got it got an email that went out so I had like family members writing to me like oh why'd your book get pushed out and I was like oh I didn't know that anyone but me was aware so um <laughs> but yeah I mean it's 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 ultimately for um uh, a good reason so I'll be I'll be happy to share more about that when the time comes but uh yeah December 1st is, is the big day awesome so for those who are interested in this book, could you just share with us, uh, before we we jump into a deeper discussion, what The Daughters of Black Island is and, uh, you know, just basically a, a, a basic rundown of the book? Yeah, of course. Um, so The Daughters of Black Island is, it's set on Black Island in my home state of Rhode Island. Um, and it kind of has like a weird origin story Uh I was always very enthralled with like murder ballads and I actually have a really cool piece of artwork for, uh, uh, painted by Katie Haran and it depicts a scene sort of like a, a, a reimagining of the Trois sisters um, also sometimes called the dreadful wind and rain and I you know I bought the piece of art or I was I was gifted it for a birthday a couple years ago and I had, I was in an MFA program and I had a short story that I needed to write to be critiqued. And I really wanted to do kind of a, my own reimagining of the, the murder ballad, which is like, sort of like two sisters are pitted against a very unworthy suitor. And it's just, it always intrigued me, like what, you know, sisters are supposed to be close and have each other's backs. And, and these sisters um, in the traditional murder ballad, like very much do not. Uh, and I just sort of ran. Uh, so originally it was a, a very poorly written short story because I was doing it in epistolary format and I was trying to do it like, you know, this woman goes to Black Island to find out what happened to her sister. Uh, and then I sort of expanded it and um, it's it's now two pairs of sisters and the the same sort of worthy or unworthy I, I will not spoil anything but a sort of central male figure and um it is not a spoiler to say though it is a little uh sad and weird to ask people to like get behind a book that starts with a character <laughs> who we ultimately know I mean we learn in the prologue that she will be killed but we don't quite know why or by who if it's a, a ghost or uh 
you know, the story is that she maybe took her own life. Um, but essentially, a, a sister finds out that she, or I'm sorry, a, a woman finds out that she had a sister that she never knew about her whole life. And that this sister was killed on Block Island. So she travels to Block Island, a place that she did not ever want to return to for her own reasons. And she has to get to the bottom of the mystery of what happened to her sister. Uh, of course, in like a very gothic setting. The gothic setting uh, was definitely, I think, the thing that drew me to the book originally. And then I found the character drama to be so delicious <laughs> that I just have not been able to stop reading this book. So I want to dig in with you a little bit about the Gothic in a moment, but I also found that there was a really interesting story, uh, particularly about the setting of this book, um, which is set in this giant Gothic mansion called Whitehall. And uh, it now it is to my understanding that Whitehall was an actual place in Rhode Island historically that you kind of drew from for this setting. Yes. So, um, so the, this setting question kind of also ties in with like, well, no, I'll, I'll leave that alone. We'll talk about the meta aspect of it. I'm sure <laughs> after. Um, but I very much, I love writing about places that are set in Rhode Island. And I think like, at first I thought it was just like, maybe I'm just being not very adventurous. And I just really like that whole write what you know thing. And, you know, I grew up in Rhode Island. I didn't live here for about 10 years. I lived in Philly and LA and multiple parts of Boston. So I did get away and experience other places. But when I moved back here and I started writing, so when I moved back here was when I started writing a lot more seriously. And so it just seemed to kind of go hand in hand that I was writing more and I was back in Rhode Island, and I was just drawing on the state and different towns um, for, for settings in all of my work. And I really wanted to write a gothic novel because I love them and I've always loved them. Um, but I wanted to set it in Rhode Island. And like, there are certainly tons of places that you could do that. I mean, there's Watch Hill, where I think most people know of Watch Hill that aren't from Rhode Island. Taylor Swift owns like a 17 point something million dollar mansion oh in Watch Hill. It's full of these like huge, um, just opulent places that are right on the water. But I really wanted a super strong element of seclusion. So I was like, I want to do it on an island but Block Island, of all the great places in Rhode Island, and then, too, there's Newport, like the Newport mansions. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could go hog wild, like writing a, a gothic thing, uh, gothic, not even just gothic horror, but gothic romance, gothic whatever in Newport. Um, but I wanted to do Block Island, and it just seemed kind of weird to me because I was like, Block Island doesn't strike me as super gothic because when you go to Block Island, it's usually in the summer and you take this big mm. ferry over there and it's like tourist central. It's like beaches and, you know, <laughs> drunk lunches, like revelers on the beach right. partying and um, ice cream shops and mopeds. And it doesn't like leave a lot to the imagination. So I started thinking, well, of course, Black Island in the winter would be an entirely different story. I actually always remembered that we had a student back when I was in like fifth through eighth grade, or maybe it was high school. I find, kind of feel like it was middle school. Uh, and she was a honors student on Block Island, but because they didn't have a huge school, she would video call into a lot of our, our classes. And I just remember like being so amazed that like this girl on this island like had to <laughs> video in back when like that wasn't super common. Um yeah, so I was like, it must be so isolated in the winter. So I kind of had homed in on that being my setting, but I was like, mm -hmm. I'm going to have to make up this big, crazy mansion. And then I dug just a little bit into Block Island and its history, and Whitehall actually existed. It was this crazy, I mean, they called it Searle's Folly. So the the man who built it, and had it built by this like very renowned architect, um, had it built for him and his new wife. They never ended up living there much. They weren't married for super long. He, They had the building design, the structure designed with his and her wings that were like identical. Mm. Um, there was also like a 
a replica house of the mansion that was like very close. <laughs> to it. it just was like, like once I stumbled on this, I was like, this could not be more perfect. Like I, I, how did I not know that this is so, and then it, it mysteriously burned down. I always get the date wrong too. It was like 1959, I believe it was either like 49, oh. 59 or 69. I, I think it was 59, uh, but the mansion, it burned down the beach that's right near there is still referred to as mansion beach. So sort of the lore of this place remains. Uh, and apparently I, I, I have seen them, but I've seen them not when I was working on the book, the so it, I don't like quite have the the best of the connections in my head, but um part of the foundation and the two big entry pillars remain of of the structure. So what a perfect, you know, kind of set of circumstances for for a gothic novel. Um I I feel like gothic novels are always kind of steeped in this European history. You know, it's it's like it's very posh. It's it's very much um, like giant mansions, you know, for rich people. Yeah, castles and lords. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. And and so it's hard to replicate a lot of that space. I think in the states because we don't have quite the same kind of like structures in history as you know, like European, you know, yeah. British Isles, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, but I do think that New England is a, is kind of like a perfect place if we're going to do some American Gothic stuff that isn't just like the Southern Gothic, but to do American Gothic in the new, in New England just kind of makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah, agreed. It's the least modern that you can get for in certain places for certain structures, and yeah, right, yeah. So you're obviously a huge fan of the Gothic. And I wanted to kind of explore with you a little bit about what kind of appeals to you about the Gothic and, 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 you know, kind of first off, what, what is the Gothic to you um, in literature? Yeah, so I think like there's part of the answer that's very much, you know, I like the, the trappings of the Gothic and I like, you know, the maiden that like is, uh, has all these forces working against her and usually in the end like turns out okay how she gets there is like up for debate as to whether it's you know <laughs> <laughs> um but I, I think the first real part of the answer is really just that I think I grew up reading a lot of things that even if they weren't like classic gothic they were very gothic adjacent um I was actually just talking to my mother recently about like, we both used really loved Anita Shreve and she's not like, like very traditional Gothic. Like you wouldn't, I, I don't know that I've ever seen her name in like a list of Gothic authors, but she writes, you know, like secluded coast of Maine and like dark academia. It's very Gothic adjacent. So like I grew up reading a ton of her and like Sydney Sheldon, who's also kind of the same thing, more Southern maybe a little bit of gothic um but then the stephen king stuff that i first started reading it was more you know out of all of his stuff uh salem's lot was my favorite and um mm. so that to me kind of like imprinted uh the whole you know small town gothic outsider forces um uh and then just a like a small handful of just my favorite novels that i've I don't read a ton of books more than once. Usually if I read something like that's it, mm -hmm. but the handful of books that like I have returned to just like happen to, you know, Rebecca, um, the monk, I like the monk is <laughs> I'm like, sit, like I raise my eye level just up from the zoom screen. And like, I'm looking at the monk and Frankenstein and Dracula. Um, so it's just, you know, those classics plus like, the reading that I did when I was younger. Um, and then I just, I love a lot of what amazing modern horror and, you know, not so horror authors are are doing with it just to like switch it up and, and make it new. So in your opinion, you know, what kind of separates like a Gothic novel from just like dark horror? Yeah. So that's a great question because it's kind of a complicated answer. And I think everybody would have a different answer. And mm -hmm. Um, for my novel, I tried to stick with like 
like my my definition of gothic in my novel and what I was trying to like play with was very narrow. It was like mm -hmm. Mysteries of Udolpho and um, Castle of Otranto and The Monk. And um, sometimes I don't even feel completely like Rebecca fits in with though, but I, mm -hmm. enough, enough it does. Um, little bit Haunting of Hill House, like definitely fits, mm -hmm. but a little more um, modern. Uh, because I do think that today... I think what was called Gothic in like the 1800s was mm -hmm. very different than what we call Gothic today. Like today, something can be called Gothic where it doesn't really fit what I think of as like the formula. Right. Um, and I think I kind of, I think if you, if, I know you've read this far already, but if people listening read the book, like um, I, I have like a list of rules about like yeah. what yes. you can do to survive a Gothic horror novel. And in my head, like those things, if like a character is doing or not doing those things in a novel, like that to me is like classic Gothic. Um, today, like, I feel like things like, uh, of course, I'm not going to come up with a great example right now. I just saw something <laughs> too that was called Gothic. And I was like, you know, I think, let me just put it this way. I think if something has like, a dark, ominous, you know, rain-saturated setting and, like, um, elements of, like, secrets and elements of, like, a tragic heroine. Like, it's much more broadly defined or put into the gothic box. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, you know, I mean, one of my rules, one of my rules is, like, <laughs> be careful who you sleep with because it might be your brother. Like, the, the, like that's... <laughs> Kind of more right, right, right. along the like I'm very much in the like the monk box of the gothic when I was writing this novel like not many popular things today although I mean I wouldn't call Game of Thrones gothic but there's a whole storyline there that like could be um oh yeah sure but you know a lot of things that are called gothic today uh are I guess I I don't even want to call it gothic adjacent I guess it's more it's like a reimagining or like inspired mm -hmm. by gothic elements yeah, I've struggled a lot to try to figure out, you know, like, what is, is there any one definition of gothic? Because I, to your point, I think that if you asked a dozen people, you're going to get a dozen answers, you know, as to what, what the gothic is. And I, I think a lot of our understanding of the gothic is wrapped up in the tropes of the gothic, because I think it is a very trope heavy genre, right? Like. Yes. There's usually a, you know, to your point, there's usually like a castle or a, a mansion or, but it's, it can't just be like any old, you know, thing. It, it's, it's gotta be old with a lot of history, you know, it's yeah, gotta have, yeah. it's gotta have generations of, of um, stuff to kind of sort through because the secrets are also very important to the Gothic. You gotta right, have right. secrets on secrets on secrets, right? You gotta have twists and turns and reveals and information that nobody wants to talk to or, or talk about or confront. And everybody is kind of in on this secret and yet nobody knows about it, right? Yes, that is such a great point. And that's like a great example of what I was trying to just articulate. Like, so that's the, like you could call, you you might see something called the Gothic today because it has a creepy house. And right. it's like, okay, like convince me, I can be convinced. But you, like the real Gothic, yes it's like the house in and of itself is like just full of mystery and um and oftentimes like actual labyrinths like actual like yeah, physical yes. manifestations of these different levels and layers of secrets yeah i don't i don't want to spoil the daughters of block island because i i believe very firmly that this is the kind of book that you should just go in and read and let it work on you because you've you've crafted you know kind of this mystery inside this you know kind of gothic setting that works so well and I don't want to spoil stuff but I also am dying to talk about it because there's so much fun stuff in here it's it's like you know of course, a house has secrets, but like this house has mega secrets, you know, and like that's the sort of thing that I think speaks to a lot of, um, you know, kind of the gothic trope work. What what kind of distinguishes this to me from other books that, you know, are just kind of 
merely dabbling in gothic language if that makes any kind of sense like i i yeah, feel yeah, like absolutely. there there is a distinct mode for what makes something the gothic i'm going to use a term that i i picked up in grad school um it's it's a freud term it's uh, the return of the repressed and i think that a lot of gothic literature when we talk about stuff like turn of the screw or we talk about the monk or we talk about um Jane Eyre, right? There's like there's always this return of the repressed. The the thing that you try so hard to keep secret must come out. It yes. cannot remain buried. For the more effort you put into burying it, the more you draw attention to that effort. And I think that that whatever it is that that is repressed and and its return, whether it be a literal return, as like you know you thought that my brother was dead, but he's not, and he's coming back, you know, or um, something like, I tried to keep this secret hidden for forever, and the secret is really bad, and the secret is really just a metaphor for something else. That occupies a really big space in the Gothic. So I kind of wanted to pitch to you, you know, what are your thoughts about that as kind of the distinctive kind of Gothic trope, the, the thing that that gives Gothic its definition? Yeah, I I completely agree. I completely agree. And I I don't want to like jump on that agree and then like toot my own horn, but like <laughs> I so much agree with that that like that is absolutely what I was trying to do with some of these characters. I mean the the secret and the um well yeah, let's just say so the secret at the heart of this mm-hmm. is um 26 years in the making, the age of of Blake. Uh and there is so much pressure being exerted on keeping that secret buried um, with Mm. people as collateral damage. And yeah, I just uh, really tried to play with that because I mean, I reread a lot of the classics while I was working on this and like re-immersed myself. (laughs) I mean, I had like my, um, you know, like my, my Libby app with the library, I was like pulling, like most of the, I have the physical cut, but I was like pulling them up on my Kindle. And like, if you pull up your Kindle app on your computer, you can control find. And I was like looking for, so it was, mm-hmm. it was very fun to play with all of the things that I liked reading about for so long in all these different books. Yeah. I, I'm going to take us off the rails just a little bit. Um, <laughs> Because I, I don't know that I've run into a lot of references to Matthew Lewis's The Monk, which is probably my favorite, just bananas bonkers right. gothic novel. It's insane. <laughs> it is. Like, I've read the whole novel multiple times, and I still will, like, refer to just, like, Wikipedia has the plot point. Like, Wikipedia for a synopsis <laughs> of the monk doesn't even try to do it in paragraph form, if I remember. Or maybe they do, but, like, then they have the characters bullet-pointed. And most times when you see a character list for whatever it is, it's just, like, a little sentence. And these these are, like, full paragraphs of, like, how this character is connected to this and what happened. Like, it's... <laughs> I never even can remember... It never fails. When I return to the monk, I'm like... Oh my god, I forgot about that whole side plot. Cuz it's just crazy. It's it's labyrinthine in its construction and just the story too is is totally bonkers. Um if if you've never read the monk, um it is I mean largely about a monk who is seduced by a woman who is obsessed with him and kind of obsessed with trying to I mean, what would you say? Try not not just seduce him, but like corrupt him. Yeah, like she the the enjoyment lies in the in the corruption. Yeah, I would say corruption is the is a great word. Yeah, and so he of he, his of his piety, of his purity, of his very being, and everything yeah. that he has like built his the foundation of him his self on. Yeah, and so he. Uh, he he just goes off the rails and becomes like this kind of terrifying villain uh for for the whole rest of the book once uh he he kind of dips his toes in sin <laughs> yep yep absolutely uh i i don't want to spoil anything but i 
I will just say, I hope that you enjoy the the climax scene of my novel then, now that we're talking about um, Ambrosia as a villain figure, because uh, it was very much, I had I had the monk open a lot for, for writing the climax of this. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, I haven't, I haven't been able to put this book down because it, it's like every new page. I find another, another little trope, another little nod to this, you know, kind of historic genre. Cause we're talking about literature that is, you know, like hundreds of years old. Um, the monk was an 18th century novel. Um, and I, I don't even know that it's necessarily the first, you know, kind of Gothic novel. Cause didn't, Castle of Otranto come before it. Yes, yes. By like yep, forty he, years or something like that. Yeah, right? he. Yeah, he. And there is a little story. The story is that like he sat down and he wrote this whole like he wrote it in a very very short period of time, which is crazy. It makes you wonder about like which what sort of like mind state he tapped into to like get all that out. It's great. Well, and I think Matthew Lewis was only like in his twenties when he wrote that. Yeah. Book. Yep. And then later was like really regretful that he wrote it because he, you know, he, it was like, it was so off the rails. It was so bananas. And it, it, uh, yes, it was, I it mean, is. it was, it was banned for, for, for years and years uh, because yep. of its subject matter. Wild yeah, stuff. Wild you know, what are some of the, the, if you will, without going too deep into spoiler territory, but you know, what is kind of the return of the repressed for you in the Daughters of Block Island? What are some of the things that, you know, your characters kind of have to confront that, that, you know, kind of creates this very kind of delicate human melodrama? Yeah. So I think each and every character has sort of this like, just pile of shit that they're sitting on for lack of a, <laughs> a, a nicer way to put it. Um, so, I mean, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of I'll try to I'll try to not spoil anything. I, I think I can do it without spoiling anything. Um, so Blake is uh, our sort of original main character, but uh, again, we learn that she is is not going to survive all the way to the end. Um, and she has sort of structured her whole sense of self on the fact that she was not only given up for adoption, but finds out that her birth mother had a daughter before her that she kept. So it was this sort of like, why was I given up for adoption when my sister wasn't? Like, what were the circum? And I don't even think she thinks like, she doesn't really think what were the circumstances that led to that. She thinks more what is wrong with me that led to that? And that kind of puts her on the trajectory of like, so she wants to go to Black Island not to figure out like what happened that led to her being adopted. She wants to just meet her mother and see mm -hmm. if she's like any, like she wants to learn more about herself because she has substance abuse problems. She uh, just recently has... Um, collected a, a big old court case for a, a, a drunk, not dr a, a drunken um, mistake, a, a, like a DUI right. hit and run situation, not hit and run, but like a, I don't know, I'm struggling so much to describe I, I, what it is. Like she yeah, hits somebody I think it under a DUI, the influence. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and uh, so she wants to find out more about herself. And by wanting to undergo that sort of discovery of the self she opens this can of worms and um instead unleashes all of this like well what happened like it's it had nothing to do with her her well I won't say that uh but <laughs> it, there was a whole very complex interconnected series of events that led to her having to be put up for adoption um and then with Talia her sister who comes to the island to try to find out what happened to her um, because I, again, I can say this, this also happens in the prologue. The novel mm -hmm. starts with Talia receiving a letter that Blake was able to get into the mail before she dies that tells Talia that she is her sister and she includes her birth certificate so that Talia can see that it is true. So based on that, uh, she decides to go back to Black Island where she hasn't been in about 10 years. Um, and her whole thing, her sort of return of the repressed is she has tried to 
put away the person that she used to be on Block Island because she had a sort of both domineering and absent mother. And then you can get into the whole thing with her mother. Like her mother has <laughs> a lot of reasons for being both domineering and absent and sort of like substance abuse issues of her own. But where do those stem from? And um, just kind of cold, but loving, like very dichotomous set of uh, personality traits. And then, yeah, I mean, I could ramble on like about some side <laughs> characters too, but like, you know, a lot of times I find like when you include side characters it can be hard to like we like if they're not super central or even if they are central but more of mm -hmm. like a plot driving device like it's mm -hmm. hard to weave in like good backstory for side characters sometimes but yeah in this case just everybody had so much stuff in their <laughs> past that uh it made for kind of easy characterization and, and motivation and um yeah, yeah, uh, they they absolutely feel like very three dimensional characters with the, a lot of their own baggage to kind of sort through, and that that informs a lot of the decisions that they make and a lot of the interactions they have together um, as a, a a whole cast. I really love your characters and and how they interact, and I think that that brings me to another question that I kind of had because I think that gothic literature is you know, obviously it's very old. And I think that a lot of our expectations for this genre, you know, can become so, you know, kind of laden with tropes and we can kind of fall into some pitfalls of just using archetypes instead of really kind of fleshing out more of the stories. So how do you keep this fresh? You know, how do you come to something with 300 years of history and, you know, really sit down and kind of make it your own and tell a story that feels very modern while still feeling very much like a continuation of this conversation that's been going on for 300 years. Yeah. So I asked myself those same questions. So, so to kind of <laughs> back up to where I said I had like written this as a short story for an MFA critique group. So I actually had written another novel as like my MFA thesis and, uh, was hoping that that would like spent three years researching it like thought that this was like the end all be all of like what a debut novel of mine could and would be um and I we I you know I, I managed to get a literary agent with it which was phenomenal but we weren't able to place it anywhere I got like a lot of like what exactly is this genre mm. of this story um so I got you know I was like a little dejected kind of like not so much dejected because I'm I'm stubborn as all hell. So I was like, all right, well, I got to go back to the drawing board. But I was sort of like, where do I go from here? Like, I didn't really have another idea for a novel that I wanted to work on. Um, and I was just looking through, I think I was planning on actually returning to these characters as a short, like I was going to finish the short story and like mm -hmm. rework the short story. And then when I really got into what I wanted these characters to be doing I was like I think this might be a novel and I got a little excited and I was like okay like I've, I've got a novel idea I'm gonna work on this and I started writing it and I was so bored like I it was like painful <laughs> to write it and it was like pulling teeth is really the bet like it really was just mm. like I didn't want to sit down and write it because it was boring and I was like I just i and like, this sounds like very much like a story that I can tell now and remember, but like, this really is truly what happened. Like I really <laughs> sat down and was like, I don't want to abandon this idea, this setting, this story, this, these characters, but it like all of the Gothic elements feel super trite and like overdone. Mm. And how can I do them new? Like, even with I guess at first I was hanging my hat on like this really cool block island setting of this used mm. to be real place. And, you know, I added, I, I won't spoil anything, but I added some additional like architectural things to the setting to kind sure. of make it even more fun. And I was having a blast with the setting, but it just didn't feel like new or exciting enough to place these characters in this Gothic setting and have them do the same old thing. So I got the idea that Blake, because she was, you know, she was thir she's 30 days sober when she decides to go to the, the island. She decides that like 30 days sober is enough time to like go meet her birth mother after 26 years, which is not the best idea. Um, <laughs> and so 
she starts to think that she's in a gothic novel like kind of just as a joke like as a way of kind of like dealing with her anxiety like it won't stop raining look at this B&B I'm staying in. It is a literal like (laughs) castle, like decaying. Like there's these two sisters that like run the place that one is like spinstery. And you know, the other one has like a, a relationship that's like kind of um, intense, rocky, uh, stormy. Um, So she starts thinking of it as a joke. And, and again, how can I say this without spoiling things? I will say, I won't there are people on the island or a person that then has other people that he sort of manipulatively mm-hmm. recruits into want into doing what he is doing, which is there are people on the island that decide that since she sort of jokingly thinks that she's in a gothic novel, they're going to use that knowledge to exploit this week they're gonna treat it as a weakness and exploit it Mm. and sort of like make her think she's crazy and try to get her to leave because there are secrets that they want to stay buried so once i was like making it meta so to speak like (laughs) she thinks she's in a gothic novel and these other people are like heightening all of those things around her (laughs) Um, and then she puts a lot of those beliefs into the letter that she sends talia So then Talia, who is a lawyer and is like very um, methodical and like not emotional and like sort of, you know, doesn't have any substance abuse issues, is sort of like very much relies on her rationality and her brain. She's like, okay, well, like somebody had reason to perpetuate the idea that Mm -hmm. she thought she was in a gothic novel. Like, why? And how can I use that to my advantage to figure out what happened? I love the origin story that you kind of share in your afterword for the book, um, because you you mention a lot of those same elements, you know, like looking at something that's very old and kind of thinking like, well, how, how can I innovate on this? You know, how can I bring this into a, a kind of modern conversation? And one way of doing that is by kind of examining this, this like, meta narrative you know like examining what it it is that we kind of love about these stories to begin with and how can we play the book against itself in that way it's very very clever and i think it you know it obviously stems from someone who's very well versed in it you know like it it's clear you've done your homework for this book so i kind of want to ask a little bit you know, what is the lasting appeal of the Gothic? Why do we seem to constantly come back to this like comfort food? I mean, we still have whole communities that just live and breathe for this. Um, I'm thinking of of like Agatha Andrews with the She Wore Black podcast mm-hmm. and her absolute passion for the Gothic. Um, you know, what What do you think is the enduring appeal there? Why is this still so appealing to us even 300 years, you know, kind of after its its invention? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, kind of like I've, I've answered a lot of your questions by like giving two answers, but I'll do it again. Like, I think there's like, <laughs> there, there's probably a million answers. I kind of in my head go to two, you know, from just like the scary spooky horror whatever adjective you want to use but just from like that side of things it's just fun like it's you know even if um even if it is more of just like a spooky haunted house and it doesn't have as many secrets as we (laughs) would like like even those those iterations of the story like spooky house isolated setting decay and you know ghosts and the hint of supernatural that's then usually proven to be not supernatural you got a bit of like a mystery detective story weaved right in and um you know blood and and rain and full moons and I love (laughs) um I just saw somebody posted I didn't I have Grady Hendrix's paperbacks from hell I forgot that Mm. there was a section in there of women running from houses, which is like, so in, um, I actually kind of do that scene twice with Blake and with Talia later. Like I was just, you know, like she looks up and sees the white hall and it's raining and she's outside and she thinks she sees the ghost that sort of plays into the (laughs) plot. And like 
all I was thinking was of those book covers. So in, in one sense, it's just fun. It's just like another sort of subgenre of a spooky campfire tale. Um, mm-hmm. But I think for like women or like disinf- like p- people without the power, like that the the mm-hmm. men or the castle lords of the you know the early Gothic or um, the the yes. priests the monks, the people with like the the religious power, the societal power, the monetary power, the land owning power. Um, it People who are not those figures of power enjoy these tales because, and like I said, when we started talking, like the the protagonist, the, the female protagonist, the heroine, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call her, she, she usually, if not always, comes out on top in the end it's not always Mm. the most like feminist empowering ways that she gets there but I think (laughs) that piece is what a lot of people are playing with today like let's sort of keep almost the skeleton framework and the the trappings and the setting and the cool stuff but make the journey more interesting and empowering Mm. for the main character um but yeah I, I think it's just uh rife with like opportunity to um give voice to like you know, I think I think too, it's very similar to like the the final girl in the slasher, like oh, yes. all the things that we've and also like I really want to write like a nonfiction essay or article about how Scream, like the Scream franchise, especially <laughs> like maybe more so, and this is very surprising to me, but maybe more so than any of the films that have come before, this last version or not version this last um sequel whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it what yeah. are they calling it like a the requel requel or like revamp what yeah yeah right this last one was like the most gothic like the the final scene <laughs> oh, i'm like i'm like oh, yes. not even try to tell me that this is even like yes it's slasher it's got the slasher <laughs> elements but like the story on paper of like yes. the the way these kids you talk about like a bonkers story like the monk like it's kind of like it has all those same elements so I, I gotta do that I gotta sit down and pen like a scholarly essay about how like it's gonna be entitled you know screen the scream franchise is more gothic than you think fight me <laughs> uh please write that nonfiction <laughs> article because I I desperately need it in my pocket so I can go and like <laughs> just name drop like well as Krista Carmen says in this article <laughs> which I'm absolutely prone to do uh I, I, I totally agree with you though like you know I I really hadn't thought about it but I think the whole Scream franchise is very gothic if we want to define the gothic by the return of the repressed oh my goodness it's so <laughs> there's so much gothic yes. imagery in all the of character these drama the like uh, I'll say like incestual in like a loose way, like not necessarily mm-hmm. fam- familial incestual, but like previous relationships changing and morphing and becoming something new and, and, you know, characters that are dead and buried coming back for in oh, one yeah. way or another. I mean, it's, there's a lot of, of the classic tropes, not just the like modern reimagined kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I, I absolutely love that. So I mean, as we kind of wrap up our discussion of, of the Gothic, um, you know, what what do you think that the Gothic still has left to offer us? What do you think there's still room for as we, we continue forward as artists or philosophers or readers or just enjoyers of a good yarn? Oh, gosh, it's a great question. I don't probably have an art as articulate answer as I would like, because, uh, like I, my thought immediately goes to like, well, if I had like a really succinct answer on that, that would be my next novel (laughs) because, (laughs) uh, it's just, I, I feel like, I mean, it's, there's unending ways to, to make it new. You gotta get creative and, and, you know, think outside the box because it is, because it's such an established genre, it is so easy to mm-hmm. fall back on the things that have been done before. And, and there's even ways to, you know, it's like people say, all, all the stories have already been written. It's just how you, you make it your own and you change mm-hmm. certain things. Um, but yeah, I mean, combining, I mean, I don't know. I, Maybe I should maybe I should have you edit out the last five minutes because I'm now thinking like forget a nonfiction article like maybe like straight up combining like in a you know I've clearly not worked through this very well but like 
like combining <laughs> slasher and gothic in like a more oh, sure. dynamic way. Like, I mean, there's, you could combine elements of the gothic with, and again, I think this is like a big circle sure. of a conversation that we've had because I think we talked earlier about, you know, like there's Southern Gothic and Gothic oh, romance yes. and Gothic yeah, history. I mean, I think in a way, those things that are being done today that, you know, aren't the classic Gothic, they right. are just, you know, ma- making it go in another direction and um, evolving and, and revolutionizing in all different ways. And and even like, I think Mexican Gothic by- um, Oh my God, yeah. Celia Garcia, yeah. Yep. Is, oh my gosh. Is really- like it's probably the closest to a straight classic gothic novel, like more than anything that I've read in a long time. But even with, I mean, it's almost like, I don't want to spoil that for anyone who hasn't read it, but I mean, there's like elements of, you know, you got like, I, I'm thinking of um, like the the disease in The Last of Us. You've got like, right you've got like crazy elements of like science fiction mixed with gothic and you know a different setting and diversity of viewpoint and so yeah it's it's just it's a blast i love it i love what people are doing to make the genre new or to make even just a you know their own story fresh and totally different and a joy yeah uh it's it's an exciting prospect to think of you know we're, we're sitting here in 2023 talking about you know gothic novels and and just like i don't i don't see it going away you know i i think often of of the cycles of literature and kind of where we see literature ebbing and flowing i think of previous artists who look at you know kind of the field of their literature and and what they kind of want to change like cervantes right i think he's like the classic example like he sees a whole bunch of these stories of chivalry and he's like can we kill this already like it just doesn't have a place in our modern world and yet i find myself thinking often about the world we live in and how frequently we're still encountering problems of of repression you know we we continue to see all of this weird discourse about where is the place of sex in literature you know where is this the place of sex in media as if we're not human beings who have been writing about sex since we i know since we figured it out you know i know some of the some of the yeah things that you see flying around twitter these conversations and it's just like why is you know i'm all for debate and conversation and and you know challenging each other but yeah i totally yeah right there with you on questioning like why are we questioning that (laughs) right yeah and i i think just as i look at this political moment i think like man i feel like we've we need the gothic maybe now more than we have in a long time you know as we continue to talk about um representation of queerness and whether or not we can represent queerness in our media uh can't you know are we even going to be allowed to represent ourselves as queer in public spaces like libraries or public schools you know like these are problems that continue to 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 kind of creep up i feel too like there's this whole moment with women's rights where we're seeing you know women who are not allowed abortion rights or or medical procedures that could save their lives in a complicated pregnancy you know and i think about oh my gosh is is there not room in the gothic you know to talk about these women who are now having to try to get their abortions in secret or or try to yes. see a secret doctor you know and how the gothic seems primed for us to have these conversations and represent all of this kind of messiness of our our political moment i could not agree more and it's such a such a i don't want to say good direction to go in because that feels like not the right word but like a, <laughs> i wish it weren't necessary right right but like a a very productive direction to go in um you're probably going to i just finished my second novel you're probably going to love it because while it doesn't have <laughs> Uh, nearly as many like traditional gothic elements there are uh, pieces of the gothic and it has to do with like that part partly has to do with that very subject like women being expected to 
carry pregnancies regardless of their health or situation or whatever monetary, you know, anything. So yeah, I completely agree. It's a great, I mean, and then you can, you can kind of jump up from that, from Mm -hmm. Gothic and just, I mean, horror in general is such a, is such a great place to, to, and again, like I'm using like light words, like to play with these things, but you know, (laughs) to get these things out of us in our writing and to explore them and, and yeah, have a, have a place to get out all of the, the dark shit. Yes. A hundred percent agreed so it it seems a little weird to ask about your next project as you know we're kind of using this conversation a little bit as a promo for the daughters of block island but uh i want to hear about your next project you know what what can we kind of expect um yeah so i I like i obviously can't say too much since it's still really early and uh we haven't even gotten the the daughters of Black Island out yet, but um, right. it is another uh, Rhode Island set set in Providence. Um, let's see how much will I say. So I'll say it's it's set a at eighty eight Benefit Street in Providence, Rhode Island, which is the once home of Sarah Helen Whitman, who was the romantic interest, once fiance of Edgar Allan Poe, uh, and it has much to do with Sarah Whitman and Edgar Allan Poe, uh, but it's not really a straight up ghost story. It just sort of includes them as like ghostly presences, I will say. And it's a like a modern story about a woman whose husband dies and she moves to, she rents 88 Benefit Street and in the wake of her husband's death and tries to move on. And meets new folks meets a trio of friends and a new um man new relationship potential uh and shit goes awry and that's all i'll say (laughs) (laughs) well i'm very much looking forward to that next project as much as i'm looking forward to the daughters of block island coming out december 1st thank you for people who would like to learn more about you and your projects, where can they find you? Yeah, I, I just updated my website recently. So I think all of all of my things, all of my uh, like pre-order links for Daughters of Black Island, any info that I will be sharing on the new novel, uh, my collection, um, and then any anthologies and like short and short fiction and nonfiction are all on my website. And that is www.kristacarmen.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for this conversation. This has been an absolute delight. I'm so pleased that I got to talk to you. Well, I do not think you need to thank me at all. The the <laughs> I the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much for the like tremendously thought-provoking and um, I'm sure time-consuming to write questions that you (laughs) came up with because they were wonderful and I'm so thrilled to have gotten the chance to talk with you.